Hi, and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia Fritz. And I'm Serena Chen. This episode, we're talking about fandom and what that can look like today. We've made it to episode 10, sort of, depending on how you're counting. So we decided to do something a bit more fun. And being a fan of media in the age of the internet looks a lot different from being a fan of things beforehand. While certainly cosplaying conventions have existed for a really long time, we now have readily accessible fanfiction, easy international collaborations and collaborative fiction, wikihow, fancasts, and digital literature. The recent popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey, a published book which somewhat infamously started as Twilight fanfiction, has thrown something of a light on fanfiction and digital literature. But many fan creations and digital literature itself are still treated as not being serious or not really that real. For a starting place, we should refer to a piece of digital literature that has changed how a lot of fandoms and indeed conventions function. Serena, can I tell you about Homestuck? I don't think I'm going to get away with uh, not hearing about Homestuck, so so just (laughs) lay it on me. Tell, Tell me about this epic. So... Probably the first thing to point out is they're not actually stuck in their homes at any point during the entire story. It's been described by its creator as a creation myth, um, which focuses on two groups of four kids. Uh, It puts a lot of emphasis on things like internet friendships. It's resulted in a whole change of language surrounding how we ship things. So the idea of shipping is that, like, if you see two characters in a show and you think they should make out and you want them to be in a relationship, then you ship them. Within Homestuck, a whole different language was developed around different kinds of relationships that you can want people to be in, whether those are truly love relationships, whether they're like best friendships, whether it's kind of like a love-hate relationship um, or a really vibrant enmity. Like, language sprung up surrounding that and concepts sprung up surrounding that. The other really important thing that Homestuck did was it changed how a lot of conventions functioned because the fandom essentially was so huge. Like... What it's been published as, the last time I looked at it, it was longer equivalently than War and Peace. And, like, I read it over a period of, I think, five years as it was coming out. And essentially, like, because there were so many people within the Homestuck fandom dressing up as Homestuck characters attending conventions, conventions had to start doing things, like putting rules around things like stealing your makeup because one of the big things about Homestuck is a bunch of the characters have grey skin and when people don't steal their makeup properly then you get grey paint literally everywhere. They started having (laughs) rules around things like um, group photos and now those rules remain even though the Homestuck fandom is much, much not as vibrant as it used to be because the story itself has sort of ended. Can I Um, ask um, when Homestuck began? Yeah, I'm going to Google it. Oh, okay. <laughs> when did you first um when did you first find it? And how did you come across it? I had a friend recommend it to me. Mm-hmm. Um so I started reading it. I read it a bunch in two thousand and ten and then I didn't really touch it again until two thousand and thirteen, at which point I kind of caught up. Um it started on the thirteenth of April two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Um and that makes a lot of sense because we always have gatherings on the 13th of April because it's like, you know, the origin day of Homestuck. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it lasted, it has 8,150 pages. Um, it lasted until last year, I think. So that's six years. Uh, and while it was occurring, like, you just saw the most wonderful things happening. Like, people... There were some horrible things that happened as well. There were some more problematic aspects of the fandom, which 
you know, exists everywhere. But there were things like, as soon as a new character was introduced, people would race to create a cosplay for it. Mm. Which is just amazing. Like, and you just suddenly see these, like, intricate, amazing creations when a character had been introduced less than eight hours beforehand. And so, like, the kind of <laughs> weight. And, and, like, they ran a Kickstarter for a Homestuck game, which raised, like, a ridiculous sum of money. Like, that's the kind of force of the fandom that's gone behind it. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about Homestuck, it's not just, like, this is something that was very important to me personally. Like, this is something that has literally changed how many fandoms function and has shown that we're actually quite a serious, um, consideration to have when you consider I think the fandom raised over two million dollars for the Homestuck game like mm. fandom as it exists suddenly became something to be taken seriously I think the other thing that Homestuck did which a lot of I don't know if this has occurred in other groups is because the creator Andrew Hussey is just like the stalk that makes web comics and really likes bad puns like when he wanted artists to collaborate on things with him, he would often find people who had already been creating fan art. So you would see people go from just like drawing their favorite characters, doing stuff or smooching or like creating a comic, like to actually writing for the things that they loved so much. Did you have um, any exposure to fandom things before Homestuck? Or was Homestuck like your, your OG, your OG fandom? I mean, to be honest, like, my OG fandom was probably Harry Potter, as it was for a lot of people about our age. Mm. Like, those sort of staying up for books to come out, like, lining up outside bookshops, that Mm. kind of intense involvement. Like, I wasn't involved in a wide-reaching fandom online. When I was in high school, I was on a sky-high role-playing forum. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so, like, I sort of dabbled. Homestuck was when I got serious. Mm. Have you written any fanfiction? Just... Curious. Yes. Oh, cool. I mean, like, Good on you. I think my the favorite piece that I've ever written was again like a piece of collaborative fiction, uh, which was fan fiction about the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, That's interesting. So I ended up having a discussion with two friends who were sort of um, political. They were political science students mm-hmm. uh, about how the Maori and the English versions of the Treaty of Waitangi, so one of New Zealand's founding documents, um, were so different they might as well be different people. Mm. And then we anthropomorphized them and made them be in a relationship. That's amazing. Fanfic. (laughs) When was this? When did you write this? This would have been. God, it would have been third year. Oh, wait, third year in uni or? Yeah, so that would have been twenty thirteen. Oh wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Shut up. That's so cool. Uh, You can find the first section on tetaritiowatangi.tumblr.com. Ah, uh, it is online there. That's so cool. I think my um my biggest my biggest kind of obsession with a fandom, and this is like a little bit um a little bit embarrassing to admit because this is all kind of like stuff that I get into when I'm in the ages of ten to sixteen. So this is like yeah, real cheesy stuff. But I. Really loved Cardcaptor Sakura, <laughs> if you remember <laughs> yeah. that cartoon. Uh, and I got into reading a lot of fan fiction around Cardcaptor Sakura. And then there was this one, there was this one piece of fan fiction called uh, The New Trials, and it was written by a girl the same age as us uh, who identified herself as Wish Chan, 
This is in like 1999. And I found this and I started reading it and it was like, it was like, oh yeah, this is kind of fun. And then chapters kept coming out and I kept reading it. This fan fiction, this piece of fan fiction is still going. And amazing. And it has gotten to the point where this author, who started out writing as like a 13 year old girl, she's now like a grown ass woman. I'm pretty sure she's a doctor somewhere. I'm pretty sure that's her, that's her like real adult job now. And she's still writing this fan fiction and she's woven this beautiful backstory that goes back like two, three, four, five generations. She's woven this like entire mythos behind the, the cartoon. She's introduced all these new characters and like new, new mechanics around, around this fantasy world. And it's evolved into something just incredible, just incredible. And, <laughs> and I think it, it like lengthwise, it must be, it must be something similar to Homestuck. Um, but it's, it's, it's written. Is Homestuck comics or is it just written? Word. So it's picture, it's pictures with words. So okay. there are comic-like images, and mm -hmm. then all of the sort of discussion and text will be below. And sometimes that's narrative exposition, and sometimes that's discussion people are having. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, so you that's read it. I I would love to read it. It's just so I still need to catch up to this this new trials fan fiction that I've been reading like throughout my entire teenage <laughs> years. And I stopped reading because, you know, life happens. So yeah, I still have, I still have, what is it? Let's see. It looks like I have 10 chapters to catch up on. And every single chapter she writes is about the length of the fifth Harry Potter book. So it's a lot of, nice. it's a lot of writing. It's good though. And like, it's I fantastic. think fan fiction is often taken less seriously because the idea is like, oh, it hasn't really been vetted by anyone. Like you're not reading like a real book. But realistically, they're often, like, very, very long, and they're often, while not all of them are well-written, like, you can see that someone has kind of tried. Honestly, I think fan fiction isn't taken seriously because it's mostly written by women. I mean, it is, yeah, in many cases, <laughs> edited by other fan fiction writers. It's vetted by other fan fiction writers. And, yeah. like, within the sea of fan fiction, you get these, basically, like, pop stars coming out and rising above the the crop of you know your what your stereotypical fan fiction is and these are respected writers within their communities um i saw a good tweet the other day that was like male fan fiction or like male written fan fiction is just a a pitch for a show like that's what it is in real life it's just like yeah, the actual pitch for honest, the show. yeah um or a pitch for a and i think like like while while men do write fan fiction, they're often men that are in other minority groups. Yeah. And, like, that's to an extent why fan fiction exists, yeah, exactly. right? Because there is something lacking in the actual media that we engage mm. with, and so we create it. Exactly. And, like, that's, um, so I'm sure, like, you also know of the term, like, Mary Sue. Oh, yeah. So the idea is that, like, a Mary Sue is, like, this perfect character who can do everything, is the prettiest person, is the best at everything, like, mm. is just the most perfect person ever, has no flaws, or if she does, it's like, she's slightly clumsy, or sometimes she's too good. Mm. Um, and the idea is that, like, it's a poorly written character, but realistically it's a way that a lot of female teenagers will self-insert in a way where they don't feel shitty about themselves. Mm. And I think that's an incredibly positive thing to see people writing these Mary Sue's and being like, here is this like essentially self-insert fan fiction 
where everything goes well for me. Mm. What is what has been like really fascinating to observe over the last shit like over the last fifteen years? Fifteen? Um, My so God! Old. Okay, You're so old. Oh, so old. Okay, over the last fifteen years that like I've been involved in fan fiction and fandom is to see how how opinions evolve around tropes like Mary Sue. Because I do remember back in the day, Mary Sue was talked about by fanfiction writers as a bad trope. And these fanfiction writers yeah. were like primarily women. And and I think that's because we were all still in the stage where feminism was still in that stage. So as a community both as a community that, that was both inside fandom and inside feminism, like we were still dealing with a lot of internalized misogyny that we didn't know of yet. And yeah. nowadays we've, you know, you can see the change in fandom and you can see how these opinions have evolved. These opinions that, um, that were held by the same people have evolved. And that was, I mean, that's still really fascinating to watch and really fantastic to see over time. And just reminds me of like how old I'm getting. <laughs> I mean, like, we both initially engaged in fan fiction at a time where, like, feminism wasn't that mainstream either. Mm. So, like, I certainly didn't self-identify as a feminist until I was, like, second year uni, probably. Like, that took me a really, really long time to come to terms with. And so, like, we mm. weren't recognizing that either to a large extent. That's funny, because throughout my teenage years, I had always identified as a feminist but the the weird thing is that I had ne like if you look at my behavior from back then it was not feminist at all and it wasn't until again uh second or third year like like you that I actually started learning about what feminism was instead of like calling myself a feminist and not really looking into it and that was that's funny how we had like the same kind of change in outlook at the same kind of time in our lives. I think it's partly to do with like the society and the culture we grew up in and also just like maturing in general. But mm. equally like I'm constantly amazed by young women now who might be like fourteen or fifteen and mm. like strident feminists and creating feminist groups at their high school. And it's like, oh Right. Okay, it's amazing. You're doing better than me. They're this fantastic. is really good. <laughs> yeah. I think also like while we certainly went the first wave of fan fiction writers we were one of the main ones so there's a group of people about I'd say six or seven years older than us who initially write wrote fan fiction on live journal mm. and that's when live journal and DeviantArt uh, were the main sites for that oh um, yeah <laughs> hey I had a DeviantArt account we yeah never discussed that again same it's one uh, of those things where it's like okay we can both recognize that we had uh, live journal accounts and DeviantArt accounts but let's never share this <laughs> 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 and now there are like things like archive of our own or fanfiction.net and like I've sort of reached a point where like while I'm really into a lot of media I physically do not have the time to read a lot of fanfiction and so I have like my weird little Harry Potter fanfictions that I read and I love and some Homestuck fanfictions that I read and I love and so it's things like the one where Harry Potter becomes a communist <laughs> uh, it's Harry Potter and the methods of rationality which is if Harry Potter was raised by a scientist and then did science to magic, what would happen? And yeah, I think like a lot of the uh, a lot of the evolution that's occurred in fan fiction, like you and I can both track because it has really followed the evolution of ourselves. Absolutely. Okay, 
So, obviously, uh, we cannot have an episode about fanfiction without mentioning my immortal. <laughs> oh, yes! That's what I was setting you up for! Yes. Let, the best. let us bring up the beast that is my immortal. Did you know, about a few months ago, in this very flat, uh, my flatmate Sarah did a dramatic reading of my immortal. It was glorious. And I recommend, like, if, if any, if any of our listeners have time, uh, and, you know, sitting there a bit bored, definitely bring up my immortal and, uh, do a dramatic reading. That's, it'll be worth, worth your while. Um, there are a few recordings on YouTube that do dramatic readings of, uh, my immortal as well. So my immortal is a piece of Harry Potter fan fiction that is, Either one of the best pieces of satire that has ever been created, <laughs> or the worst thing that has ever been written, and no one knows which it is. Like, there's actually arguments that occur, like on Tumblr, that are just like, did the person who wrote My Immortal know how ridiculous what they were writing was? Oh, and it's dear. just like, it sums up exactly how I felt when I was 14 in many, many ways. Like, there are bits where it just spends, like, an entire page describing her outfit and how she's wearing a corset and ripped fishnet stockings. Some Hufflepuff stared. I stuck my middle fingers up at them. <laughs> and it's like... It is, it is, like, the quintessential... Like, if you, if you weren't sure about what the, like, fanfiction stereotype is, that would be the the quintessential piece of fan fiction to read to understand well, what the stereotype is. Because it's okay, just what so the basic stereotype was, like, maybe 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. Like, it's probably not as relevant anymore, and I don't think that people who are, like, no, 15, it's, who yeah, read it's my a lot of find it as incredibly kids. amazing as we do. <laughs> like, it's just, I, I'm going to get it up here. Like, I just love my immortal so much. Hi, my name is Ebony Darkness Dementia Ravenway. I am the child of Gerard Way. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is like the, the great thing about fanfiction as well, is that it, it so like beautifully captures the the essence of the time that it was written in. Because this this was like the time of the emo kids and scene kids and like f fucking MCR was huge and uh, Fallout Boy and oh my god. Blink-182. Evanescence. Oh, uh, it's just... It's a good days. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Have and you... I can't explain, <laughs> like, effectively in words how Why much it's I good? love yeah. this piece. Yeah. <laughs> like... it, it is a work of art. It's truly a work of art. What I wonder, because I haven't really, like, I haven't been reading any new fanfiction in the last, what, like, five years? What I wonder is, like, what fanfiction looks like now. Like, uh, are people who are, like, 15 now going to be writing fanfiction that's, like, I don't know. That bad? What's, what's um, big like, now? <laughs> there's some really genuinely awful One Direction fanfiction that's out there. But, like, broadly, I think fanfiction looks <laughs> and acts a lot better than it did when we were growing up and like part of that is like I mentioned before like we basically grew up with the internet like we mm. matured as online communities matured as ideas that are so um, ingrained with digital culture matured 
And so people who are like 14 or 15 now are generally much more self-aware. Mm. They're like not as awful. And they're often like treated with a lot more gentleness on the internet than we ever were. Like I see a lot of posts on Tumblr where someone's like kind of being a brat and it's like, yeah, okay, but you're like 14. It's okay. You'll grow out of this. And like certainly harassment exists everywhere, but like there is, they exist kind of in a different world to what we did. And that's really weird considering they're only like 10 years younger than us. Yeah. Yes and no, I guess. Like I think, I think they definitely exist in different online mediums. Like it's, oh, we're so used to talking about like different uh, mediums of communication. Like there's online and then there's real world but there's a lot of different media that's inside the internet whether you're on a blogging kind of network like live journal or whether you're on like a very social network like um facebook or i don't know whether you're on something else like snapchat those those medium those media are different so i i mean that that is definitely a case where it's different but i i do wonder if their experiences are that different from ours? Because I, I have a feeling that while the channels of communication are different and the systems around those communications are different, the actual substance of what comes out of them might be quite similar to what we were experiencing in a, uh, our heyday. <laughs> well, I think just because they're engaging with media that's more evolved, like has had longer to exist, has matured mm. more, like I don't want to say it's more evolved because that implies like it's better at surviving, which isn't necessarily true, like, that's going to be a different interaction. Mm. You know? Mm. Like, Definitely. I was kind of a, I was kind of a brat when I was 15, and I feel oh, like we all were. similar. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the Wikipedia page for my immortal also is just, like, genuinely no one knows whether this is a satire or not. Like, we're very confused. It's, it's just this piece of really important digital literature. Hmm. And if anyone has written a thesis on my model, please send it to me. I would oh love to read it. Oh my god, yes, send it to us. I really hope someone's uh, written a thesis about it now. That would be fantastic. Because, like, like we talked about in our episode about um, Tumble Linguistics, like, things like this, pieces like Homestuck, are so important to digital literature. Like, they are... I don't want to be like, they're the equivalent of Shakespeare's plays, but they're equivalent of like decently important books from really long ago because they're kind mm. of the cultural touchstones for people of a particular digital age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's the same kind of um, thing you see in literature, how you have classics, right? So within each fandom, there will be fan fiction classics that everyone will recommend again and again and again and again. So in many ways, it, 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 it performs the same kind of role, it fulfills the same kind of role as a classic, in that it is just that good. It gets recommended time and time and time again. It, it's just a great story. And it doesn't matter whether it's formally published or not, that's irrelevant to, to how much you'll enjoy it when you actually read it. It's also, to be honest, like, that rare thing, which is a fantasy story with a female protagonist. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Let's talk about the male gaze versus female gaze in, um, in fan fiction. That is definitely a contrast and a difference between published fiction and fan fiction. Like, I've been thinking about it a lot, how often when women write books, they're kind of pigeonholed mm -hmm. as 
books for women, whereas when, mm. when men write books, it's like, well, these are for everyone, because clearly women should just yeah. be able to innately understand our world for you. And it's like, mm. I'm really over that. Like, I'm just genuinely quite done with, like, reading men's points of view. And fan fiction means you don't have to do that anymore. Fan fiction yeah. means you can... The girl can win. The girl can live. The girl can have her happily ever after. The she girl have to can just, live. Like... Yes. Yeah. Yes. God. And, like, when you look at TV shows, like, even, like, The 100, which um, I haven't seen yet, but, like, apparently had a really good, like, lesbian relationship in it. They kill the lesbian. It's, like, just a lot of TV shows kill lesbians. And the reason they do that is, like, kind of a weird historic thing. But you don't have to do it anymore. Please stop. <laughs> It, it's one of those things where um, where when you see a TV show and like they kill off a lesbian couple and, and, and you're like, oh, okay, so this is just a thing that happened, you know, at least we got some lesbian characters. But then you dig through the archives of popular TV shows and popular movies and you like start tallying how many um, LGBTQIA characters get killed off. It becomes a pattern. It becomes quite a disturbing pattern, which is... Disturbing in that there's no good reason to be killing them off. Like, if, if you're bringing them, if you're bringing this character onto your show in the first place, then you obviously see that how they add value to your show. So there's no good reason to be killing them off. Yeah, it's kind of rooted in the origins of, like, basically, like, I think it was first stories about lesbians, was the fact that, um, a lot of pulp fiction was being written in sort of, I think, the McCarthy era in America. And, like, I haven't Googled this, so I might be off with a few of my facts. Um, and when they went to go and get published, the producers or the publishers were essentially like, we can't publish this. Like, being gay isn't legal. We can publish it if there's a tragic ending. And so it became, like, this sort of, like, oh. tragic ending thing. And that was just, like, what happened. You'd have, like, this really good book about, like, people being gay or people being lesbians, but they had to die at the end. Otherwise, the books wouldn't get published. Oh, my God. But, like, we don't have to do that anymore. No. And so the fact that it's continuing to happen in TV sort of, like, speaks both to the fact that there's, like, a total lack of self-observation on the part of the producers and the directors and the writers... But also the fact mm. that, like, no, it doesn't really matter. Like, how many gay people could co possibly be watching this anyway, really? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Wow. Oh, there is a TV Tropes page on this. Oh, God, TV Tropes. <laughs> it's called Bury Your Gaze. Bury Your Gaze. Yes, I have heard of that. Um, or the shit, I used to go on TV Tropes all the fucking time. That just gives you a glance into my life as a 15-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> You're very cool. Yeah, but definitely there's there's that pattern of killing off your minority character to advance the story arc of your your protagonist, who is usually, I mean, straight white guy, right? And it it just never ends. Like when you when you go through the archives, when you look at TV today, it never ends. People will writers will not stop killing off women to advance some plotline. And I think that just that just speaks to like a more ingrained kind of sexism. 
if men feel bad about women dying, the more stuff will happen. Yeah. It's kind of weird because it it implies that men aren't allowed, like the only situation in which men are allowed to to like express some kind of emotion is when something so tragic such as like your partner dying tragically like that is the only situation which is ridiculous like men should be able to express their emotions even when something not so tragic happens if it if they're just sad they should be able to express that and i do think i do think that the um the trope of this tragic killing off of a significant other or a friend or whatnot of this male protagonist is so that they can so so that they're allowed to show some emotion to show some drama and that's just silly like we can make drama out of anything these days yeah the drama does not have to involve people dying least of all lesbians exactly um i kind of want to talk a little bit about sort of the generation of art surrounding so it's also a lot about uh, fanfic, which is like the literature surrounding a lot of um, the way that fandom engages with uh, media. But there's a lot of art and like other content that's being produced in response to it. And so like I've recently started listening to a fan cast episode, which is like people watch an episode of a TV series and then talk about it for an hour and then make that into a podcast. It's like, that's quite cool. fun. Yeah. I really, I really enjoy that. And so like cosplay and costume generation is a really big part of that. Like, art is a really big part of that. And like I mentioned before, like, in the case of Homestuck, like, some of that fan art then became, like, they were hired, essentially, as, like, artists for Homestuck. And that's a really, really valuable thing. Um, mm. I just want to have a bit of a chat about, like, the generation of art surrounding fandom and how cool that is. That is really cool. Um, yeah, I definitely remember being on DeviantArt all the time. <laughs> I appreciate the way that we're both hesitating before we're like, on DeviantArt. We, well, we yeah. had DeviantArt accounts <laughs> once. Yeah, and like, live journal accounts once, maybe, I don't know, yep. I haven't checked. It is, it is definitely like that special time in your life, um, you know, that when you're going through puberty and, you know, having a lot of feelings and life is everything in life is dramatic being a teenager is like having the contrast turned right up on your instagram filter yes precisely that and it's it's a time where where we have we develop a lot of love for things that are still near and dear to our heart and it's near and dear to our heart still because you know we these were pieces of media that we loved while we were going through some some tough times, as everyone does in their lives. And so the the bands that we listened to around that time, like shit, like Linkin Park and My Chemical Romance and like Panic at the Panic Disco, yeah, Green Day. I Green still like, Day. know all of the words to all of the songs on um, American Idiot. Yeah, so, same. Yeah. And I put on Jesus of Suburbia at work the other day and it was fantastic. But yeah, like media from that part of our of our life was really important to us and but at the same time because it was such a it was such an awkward part of our lives a lot of the fan art or fan fiction that we may have produced is kind of a little bit embarrassing and i think it's it's okay to feel embarrassed by that i think it's 
perfectly natural. I'm definitely very embarrassed by the fan fictions and the the fandoms that I participated in. But at, you know, at the same time, it's a it's an important part of your life. So, I and mean, equally, I think like the fan art that's getting made right now is like fantastic a lot of the time. It's like, incredible. I can't draw for shit, uh, but a lot of people out there can. And yeah, and you've probably seen quite a bit of it on Tumblr. Like, um, I think her username's Ikimaru on Tumblr, mm-hmm. uh, who does like these gorgeous pictures, things like Gravity Falls, things like um, Adventure Time. Also, mm. just like, sorry, total tangent. Are you enjoying how gay Cartoon Network is getting? Because I am enjoying how gay Cartoon Network is getting. I'm enjoying how gay, like, TVs in general are getting. And just how normalized it's becoming. That's fantastic. I the, the less you see of a TV show making a big deal out of a gay couple, the better, I reckon. Like, it's just, an, yeah. it's just there and that's cool. That's fine. Uh, I saw the latest episode of Steven Universe recently, and it was just like one of the gayest things I've ever seen on. <laughs> and I loved it so much. It was just, oh, it was beautiful. But yeah, so you have like um, pieces of art being generated that are quite genuinely artistic, like show a lot of talent and skill, um, and they're still sort of derided as not being like original or real art or whatever. Mm. Um, and that, I find that quite frustrating. Because, like, clearly, like, a lot of effort and skill has gone into it to create something that, like, you care really strongly about um, for, you know, a piece of work that you care a lot about. Mm. Uh, and to have it just be like, oh, you know, like, it's good art, but, like, it's not real art is just kind of rubbish. Yeah, and that's, I, it's the same thing with fan fiction and fan art. Something that I've just noticed, that I've just noticed is... um. Do you remember Spider-Man 2, the movie? Oh, God. Which one was that? Was that the one where he went emo? No, that was the third one. Oh, goodness, that was a terrible okay. one. No, the the second one was actually quite good. Um, anywho. Who was the villain? Who was the villain? I think it was his best friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Go on. Um, anyway, the the movie itself is, is not important. The, the fact is that, you know, movies, they have soundtracks. They have their official soundtrack. They release it as a CD. Cool. Um, so I found a CD for Spider-Man 2 with all of the official, you know, logos and pictures and whatnot. But what it was, was an album of songs inspired by Spider-Man 2. So this was like fan music. It's fanfic! <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's basically fanfic from, from bands like, um, frickin' Yellowcard and Maroon 5. Well, I mean and, that, um, that Flight of the Concord song, Frodo, Don't Wear the Ring, yeah. is also fan music, but yeah. um, with quite a different spin to it. <laughs> yeah. So that was really cool to realise that that was fan fiction too. Um, I think the other thing we need to mention, particularly if we're talking about other art forms beyond uh, fanfic, is the Very Potter musical, which, did you see that when it was done in Dunedin? No, no, I didn't. Oh, it was very good when it was done in Dunedin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so A Very Potter Musical is by a person whose uh, handle sort of is Dark Kid Potter. Um, and they've created like a lot of musicals now, but I think A Very Potter Musical is one of the first ones. And it's just like this comedy Harry Potter fanfic musical. And that, it, it's exactly how it sounds like it would be. Mm-hmm. I think I have seen some gift sets from this musical and they were quite entertaining. 
I enjoyed them a lot. Yeah, a lot of it's a lot of it's online. And it's like it's decently mainstream. Like they did a production of it in Dunedin, right? Like mm. Yeah, it's gotta be good if it reaches New Zealand. But it's also like not often referred to as like a fan creation. Um no. that also sort of like reminds me and like I know we're talking about Harry Potter a lot, but like as I mentioned like in the beginning, like Harry Potter was basically my first fandom. The ability of fan created things to interplay with the canon media, I think, is also really, really important. So, like, while a very potent musical hasn't done that, because there's a lot of, like, references to Zac Efron, um, <laughs> the casting of an African-American woman in Harry Potter, African-American, African-English, a woman of African descent in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child in England, like, was quite possibly affected by the fact that a lot of people and not just people of African descent like perceived Hermione as black. Mm. That's pretty freaking awesome. And I do I do love seeing examples where there's kind of like a feedback loop between canon and fandom. Uh did you ever watch the show Community? Yes. Yes, there was a there was one episode where they heavily referenced a fan-made video. Fan vids also a thing. And this fan video was made by someone who heavily shipped two of the two, uh, two of the characters on the show. And so so the video featured shots, slow-mo shots of um, the two characters that they shipped, along with Sarah Barry Ellis's uh, Gravity in the background, which is like this beautiful piano, beautiful song. <laughs> and I remember that episode! Yeah, and basically what happened was that community parodied the fan video and apparently like the entirety of the the episode's budget was spent on just getting licensing for that song because they needed to like redo that fan video and that was just a beautiful moment of like where where fandom and canon collide i do love that when that happens oh it's beautiful <laughs> i think um so, like, with Steven Universe and the lead artist, Rebecca Sugar, like, I see a lot of examples of people interacting with writers and Rebecca herself, like, on Twitter, for example, and just being like, oh, hey, no, I have a question about mm. this. Oh, have you considered this? Like, I've got a query. And so, like, it's increasingly easy for writers and directors and producers that are open to that to engage with their fandom. Mm. Um, and so, like, you see this occasionally with Andrew Hussey when he chooses to descend from his godly throne. Um, and you do see this with, like, a lot of people, particularly people who are younger, particularly people who are in um, spaces that have a lot more appeal on the internet. Uh, they will engage with fandom and they'll be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm glad you liked it. Like, hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that will happen. Like, I'm not sure about that. And it sort of allows, like, a development of canon beyond what we necessarily see and like so I listen to a few podcasts beyond this one because this one is great um and one of them is essentially like a work of collaborative fiction which is what I say when I mean I listen to a D&D podcast uh and some of the I people who are involved in the Dungeons and Dragons podcast like will ask questions on Twitter and be like let me tell you some things about my character and it's like yes we can extend the canon I'm really happy about this <laughs> And then there are other things that are, like, often generally accepted by people who are fans of the series to be true, or, like, a lot of people want to think it's true. And so it's stuff like um, Rollerblading Dumbledore, which is one of my favourite headcanons, because Dumbledore never walks into a room, he only ever glides. <laughs> and J.K. Rowling never says he walks anywhere, so he could just be rollerblading the entire time. I love it. <laughs> 
back um like ten years ago, uh, when the show House MD was still a thing. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, that show does not age well. Don't, don't revisit it. Oh, <laughs> does not age well. No, I revisited. I revisit it for the sick people, not for the anything yeah, else. Yeah, anyway, um, like 10 years ago, I was super into it, uh, live journal account, and one of the writers had a live journal account and would occasionally engage with fans, and that was just like a, a magical thing to see, because like, here is this person who is partly responsible for creating, like, you know, at that time, like, the best thing that existed on TV, and here she was talking to people about the show and talking to people about like certain diseases and like how fascinating these autoimmune diseases were. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, you see that a lot now with Reddit AMAs. So, mm. um, do you go on Reddit? I don't know very much about Reddit. <laughs> I, I do not go on Reddit actually. I, I quit oh. Reddit a while ago. Okay. Um, I know that AMAs just stand for ask me anything. There's also mm-hmm. one that's like, ask me nearly anything. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it means like Tommy Wiseau, the creator of the classic film The Room, ah, classic, like, has done a Reddit AMA. Daniel Radcliffe has done a Reddit AMA. Like, just a bunch of people on the internet ask you things and you answer them and you're like, here's a fact. Here's an mm. answer to your question. I don't know. All right. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Obama's done like more than one AMA. I, I have read an AMA that Obama did. Ooh, weird question. For you. Yeah. Um, so in the world of fandom, there's a lot of fan fiction that's, you know, around other pieces of fiction, based off other pieces of fiction. How do you feel about the fan fiction around, like, celebrities and real people? As have... you may have picked up from my tone of voice when discussing the One Direction fan fiction earlier. Gross. Hmm. Stop it. Do not do the thing. They yeah. are real humans with real human feelings. Yeah. So that that's... A part of fandom that I really don't understand is the the fan fiction written about celebrities and real people. And you can ship characters. Do not ship humans. <laughs> don't do it. I don't understand why people do it. Oh, damn it! Because I I was kind of hoping that you understood and you could tell me and you could like explain no. to me. No, I don't understand either. I I, <sighs> I really have no idea. And like, if we're talking about like the shitty side of fandom, like. There was a case where, like, someone sent, like, a hundred cookies to the Teen Wolf set with, like, the name of their favourite, like, flash ship on it with the hope that it would become canon. And it's like, don't, don't do that. That's a bit weird. Just send them cookies. Don't <laughs> ice them with, like, Derek on it. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious. <laughs> it's just, like, don't be shit. Like, this is my advice to any inspiring, like, fan creators out there. Like, you can do what you want. Like, experiment with fanfic. Self-insert like crazy. Like, it's a good time. Um, draw whatever you like. But just don't do it with real people. I guess the thing that really confuses me is that, like, um, essentially, real life, uh, I don't even know what to call it, like, fan fiction about real people is essentially harmless, but it's weird. <laughs> so it's, it's essentially harmless, so like, I don't want to, I don't want to just say, hey, no, like, blanket, don't do this. I want to know why people do it. Like, to me that's weird, and to you that's weird, and I think to a lot of people that's a really strange thing. 
I mean, but I why? would say, why? no, don't do this. Like, <laughs> Serena may be taking the, like, easy and nice road here, but my point of view is very much do not do this thing. <laughs> and that's probably because, like, there is a segment of every fan fiction that is slash or is porn. Mm. And that's fucked up. And that's fucked up as a person in the world to ever come across that written about you. Okay. Um, here's a question. Uh, I mean, again, like, I 100% agree with you. But just to make the, the discussion a bit more interesting, there's a lot of really, really good fan art um, that depicts two characters that the person, the artist ships. And um, they might depict them in a rather graphic, rather sexual manner. And the art, I mean, these artists are amazingly talented people. So the characters will look like the actors who play the characters. So is that going a step too far? Or is that just... I'm conflicted about that. But I think, like, if you clearly associate it with the characters, then it's fine. Mm. And, like, even if it's, like, these characters in a coffee shop, alternate universe, like, AU, like, so they look even more like the actors in their day-to-day lives than they would otherwise, like, that's kind of, that's okay. Because, like, realistically, like, actors essentially, like, put on different faces all the time. And so I think, like, having weird stuff written or drawn about your character is, like, okay, this is fine. But as soon as, like, Hugh Jackman went down on this other person, it's like, that's weird. That's, don't do that. Mm, it is It is such a grey area. Like, it's something that I... I my, my reaction is, like, this is weird. But I would love to understand why people do it. Actually, like, if anyone listening knows why people do this or, like, the appeal behind it, please write in. Please tell us. I, I promise I won't yell at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... Serena will stop me. She's done that before. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Things of Interest. This episode was talked about fandom, fan fiction, fan cast, fan everything else. <laughs> and sort of like how that's kind of evolved during our incredibly long tenure on the internet. And like realistically, like what fandom is is creating things that you find lacking in digital media or just showing your enthusiasm about something that you're super engaged with. We've talked a lot about our embarrassing history, the fact that we both <laughs> had DeviantArt and LifeJournal accounts, and how you, our listeners, are never ever allowed to find those. <laughs> Indeed. If you enjoyed this episode, then we have one favour to ask you, and that is to share it with your friends, with anyone who you think would enjoy this episode too. If you have any information about the questions that we asked today in this episode, please do write in. You can find us on Twitter at Casting Interest or on our website at thingsofinterest.co. You can send us an email which is castinginterest at gmail.com. Um, and just a heads up, we've recorded quite a few episodes early because Serena is going to China for like Woo. three weeks or something. <laughs> um, and that means that if, for example, the Greenland ice melts, the zombie apocalypse happens, or like Trump wins the American don't, election, oh, I don't know. Oh like, my God. 
there's a military coup somewhere. Like, we essentially won't be aware of that on this podcast. So I feel like, but Serena, Sophia, this incredibly important thing in fandom happened very recently. Like, mm. the original author of My Immortal came out. It was just like, hey, I'm the author. It was satire. Like, we don't know about that. So just cut us a little bit of slack, eh? We're living in the past. Ideally, nothing that large will have changed. Mm. Uh, I'm hoping Greenland ice continues to not melt. Um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.